Step one in helping you understand why everyone has immune disease is to get on the same page about what immune diseases actually are. Immune disease means a disease of the immune system, right? But here's where it's tricky. If you have gum disease, the disease starts in your gums and like happens in your gums. But your immune system is spread out throughout your body. Immune disease starts with your immune system, but the disease happens in other organs like your lungs. So if asthma happens in the lungs, is asthma a lung disease or an immune disease? In my opinion, it's an immune disease, and I want to show you why. In this episode, we're going to focus on immune diseases of the lungs and hear from two doctors, one who specializes in allergic diseases like asthma, and one who focuses on autoimmune diseases like pulmonary fibrosis. What you'll hear next is a phone interview I did with Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergist and immunologist who focuses on childhood asthma. She actually lost a family member to asthma and has devoted her work to helping others with it. We both have young kids who are home because of COVID shutdowns, so this interview had happened in the spaces we were able to steal. Can you explain to us what is asthma and what isn't asthma? Sure. So, you know, asthma is a chronic lung condition, and it's where you're airways are prone to becoming narrow and swollen, and they can also produce extra mucus. And that can be because of different triggers. And those triggers are different for everybody. There's, you know, people who have allergic asthma, their triggers might be dust mites or cats or dogs. So essentially when you breathe, the air passes through tubes that ultimately lead to the lungs. There's two components to asthma. One is that the muscles around your airways tighten more easily. And then the second issue in asthma is that there's also inflammation of the airways. Inflammation is another word for swelling. And those swollen tissues, again, are because of different triggers. And it, again, depends on what those specific triggers are for the person. To reiterate, asthma is a condition where your airways have a tendency to squeeze shut at inappropriate times. These are called flares. The squeezing or flares happen when the immune system senses triggers. There can be, there's different forms of asthma. So there's exercise-induced asthma, there's allergic asthma, there's nocturnal asthma, there's uh, eosinophilic asthma now. We're learning more and more about asthma and categorizing it into different, uh, different causes, essentially. Dr. Gupta just said, what causes it? But really, the different types of asthma tell you about the groups of triggers that cause flares for that person. Exercise-induced asthma flares from cold air. Allergic asthma flares in the presence of allergic triggers. My son's asthma flares in the presence of viruses. We don't know all the things that can cause asthma. We do know that there's a genetic component. So, you know, if someone in your immediate family has asthma, then you're more likely to have it. And then we also know environmentally that there's things that have been found to be associated with an increased likelihood of developing asthma, such as secondhand tobacco smoke, air pollution, and viral lung infections may also lead to the development of asthma. And then the occupational risk is that someone who's never had asthma can develop it because they're exposed to something at work. We saw that with, for example, you know, 9-11 workers, people that were excavating and doing things with 9-11, they developed a form of asthma after their exposures in 9-11. So different things like that we, we know can lead to the development of asthma. 
So asthma develops when the lungs are continuously exposed to something, pollutants, for example, that start to throw the immune system out of whack. I live in Philadelphia, which has a very high rate of asthma. We know that children in urban environments are more likely to develop asthma. I asked her, what specifically in their environment sets off the asthma? Yeah, so for the urban environment, you know, they have a whole host of different factors. One is an increased um, exposure to allergens like cockroaches and mice and things like that. Two is usually the urban poor live near large highways and other areas. So they're being exposed to increased pollution from all the cars and all of that kind of stuff. And then unfortunately, tobacco smoke is also more common in underserved areas. And so all of those factors we think lead to development of asthma just because they're, they're inhaled pollutants, essentially. They, they have multiple irritants and essentially they lead to irritation of the airways and chronic irritation of the airways that essentially develops into this underlying chronic inflammatory condition, which is what you can call asthma. I've looked it up in the past and we don't really have an underlying mechanism of exactly why that leads to the development of asthma, but essentially it's just that there are pollutants that lead to chronic irritation and inflammation that ultimately result in a chronic inflammatory condition. Despite her comment that we don't really know, she actually laid out a running hypothesis by calling asthma a chronic inflammatory condition. The NIH says that inflammation is the process by which the immune system recognizes and removes harmful and foreign stimuli and begins the healing process. Think about when you get a cut. The tissues around the cut get inflamed as the body seals off against bad things and starts to heal. The inflammation should stop when the healing is done. Chronic or ongoing inflammation happens when the body fails to get rid of the thing that's causing the immune system to be excited. Maybe you've heard of traumatic experiences that can cause a person to stay in fight or flight mode even when everything is safe. It's a little bit like that. What doctors have learned is that early or occupational exposures can be like trauma for your immune system. So after speaking with Dr. Gupta, I interviewed a pulmonologist who did a lot of work in pulmonary fibrosis, an autoimmune disease of the lungs. My name is David Letterer. I'm a pulmonologist by training and background. I used to work at Columbia University Medical Center where I ran the interstitial lung disease program uh, and a large research program. I was actually chatting with a colleague of yours about asthma, but it got me thinking that maybe I should be trying to find the overlap between asthma and other immune diseases of the lungs. So can you tell me more broadly about the immune system of the lungs? So the, the immune system is trained early in life and even later in life to recognize material, say we just say proteins, we'll make it simple, to recognize proteins that are not part of your body. And the way to do that is to expose your immune cells. And these are called B cells or T cells. They're part of the adaptive immune system that helps fight off infection, these B cells and T cells get exposed to your own proteins. And so they get trained to ignore them or be tolerant. Tolerant is a word that's used in, in science to, to mean that you will not 
develop an immune response to that protein. So you kind of train your body to say, here's the normal me. If you see anything else, fight it off. So a bacteria enters, fights it off. A virus enters, it fights it off. A cell from someone else's body in a lung or a kidney or a liver or a heart, same thing. So the immune system will recognize this is not me. This is something else and initiate this attack that can be multifaceted and complex and very difficult to treat or prevent. That sounds a lot like what's going on with allergic diseases and asthma, though. Can you tell me more specifically what's happening with pulmonary fibrosis? So I'll tell you what we, at least what we think we know. So what we think is happening is two things, that there's some kind of injury. And I don't necessarily mean a physical injury, although I guess it could be. And then instead of healing normally, there's an abnormal healing process that is too much, too fast, and too much of that scar tissue develops. So if you have surgery, you know, you, maybe you have your appendix taken out, you have a little, you're left with a little scar, right, on the front of your belly. Now, you, you can imagine that if you had some kind of predisposition to this abnormal response to injury, that that scar, instead of being a thin line, could become this big, bulky piece of tissue in the way. Now, in the lungs, in some cases, we know exactly what the injury is, meaning for some people, when they show up to their doctor's office with pulmonary fibrosis, meaning scar tissue in the walls of the air sacs that are causing symptoms like shortness of breath and cough, fatigue, and other complications, doctor figures it out and tries to then figure out why did this happen. So sometimes the insult or the injury is obvious. For example, maybe they had received some kind of chemotherapy for cancer in the past, and that chemotherapy caused some injury to the lungs, whether the patient knew about it or not. And over time, the healing process was abnormal. And instead of healing into normal tissue, they were left with scar tissue in some parts of the lung. Another example would be exposure to asbestos, which most people have heard of. Asbestos is very, very thin little fibers that have been used for insulation. And when it becomes particulate and airborne, meaning a dust in the air, you breathe it in, it gets stuck in the lungs. And then as a result of it being stuck in the lungs, your body attacks it and causes scar tissue. And then a third example where we know the injury is something that most people aren't aware of, and I think they should be, is that there is this, among patients with pulmonary fibrosis, a fairly common cause is exposure to mold, mold or fungus in the home or in the workplace or in some other indoor, usually indoor area where most people who are exposed to airborne mold might have no symptoms or might have allergies or asthma. Other patients, rare, will, once that mold gets in their lungs, not develop an infection, nothing that needs treatment with antifungal or antibiotic therapy, but instead that fungus triggers 
an immune response, inflammation, and that in some cases doesn't heal normally and instead heals with scar tissue. So that, yeah, that example and asbestos are potentially preventable um, causes of pulmonary fibrosis. Here's where things get interesting. Dr. Gupta said that mold could trigger the immune system to tighten or swell the airways. Dr. Lettiver said that mold can be a trigger for an abnormal immune healing response that leaves scar tissue in the lungs. So I asked him why, what's the difference? The difference between pulmonary fibrosis and asthma is, that's a hard question to answer because mold can trigger different types of immune responses in your body. We talked about B cells and T cells, these immune cells that respond to a virus or bacteria, or in this case, we're going to talk about mold. So the different types of immune responses lead to different patterns of inflammation and injury in the lung. In pulmonary fibrosis that's due to mold, it's very specific types of T cells called Th17 cells, as well as probably some Th1 cells, but Th17 cells that come in and cause lots of inflammation in the lung and recruit other cells like macrophages, which are a different kind of immune cell. Macrophages come in and try to eat up all the mold, but while they're eating up all the mold, they also cause a bystander injury to the other parts of the lung. And you'd think that that's great. It comes in, eats up the mold, the T cells, the macrophages, clear it all up, heals normally. And in many cases, that's probably true. But in other cases, it's not true. It persists and can, in some cases can lead to scarring. When mold triggers asthma, your immune system is very different from that Th17 type of immune system. There's a different kind of T cell called a T helper 2 or Th2 cell that is kind of the master of causing an allergic or what's sometimes called type 2 inflammatory response. That allergic response is very different. There are different proteins involved that your body secretes, the Th2 cells secrete. There are different cells involved in addition to the Th2 cell. There are certain antibodies that get produced by other cells called B cells. And all of that inflammation occurs in lymph nodes and in the walls of the airway, causing what we know of as allergic inflammation. Dr. Lederer brings up something important that will get repeated in future discussions of the GI system in the skin. Your immune system has different pathways or teams to deal with different things. They are called the T helper 1 pathway, the T helper 17 pathway, and the T helper 2 pathway. Allergic diseases like eczema, asthma, and food allergies are associated with the T helper 2 pathway. Diseases that involve the T helper 1 pathway or T helper 17 pathway are still immune diseases, but in general, they are pretty different than allergic diseases. An analogy that helps me is in a war, the Army and the Navy are both fighting for the same goal but they obviously have very different ways of doing it. From a patient's point of view, you might think of allergic disease and autoimmune disease simply as immune disease. If we just think of all immune diseases together, that's correct in the broadest sense. But to an immunologist, the different teams are totally separate. Back to the interview. 
So David, when I picture a patient with pulmonary fibrosis or asthma, I just think of someone struggling to breathe. So is there a way to test and figure out which one it is? Yeah. So we can measure lung function using a test called spirometry. Uh, it's been around for a very long time. What it does is it measures how much air your lungs can hold, and it measures how much air you can blow out as quickly as you can so that we get two big pieces of information. How big are your lungs and how well are your airways open and working to get the air out? So if you think about the first one, how big are your lungs? Take a deep breath in, blow out as hard and fast as you can, and a spirometry machine will measure how much air came out. If you're a six foot tall man, you're probably gonna have a bigger amount of air, larger amount of air, than if you're a three-year-old girl, right? You grow different, what, depending on your age, your height, and your sex, you'll have different size of your lungs. If you develop scar tissue in the walls of your air sacs, your lung gets stiff and it won't be able to hold as much air. You'll only be able to expand it so much. So we can tell by the spirometry test, if less air comes out than we expect, that might mean that there's fibrosis. That doesn't tell us much about asthma, though. Asthma is characterized by inflammation in the walls of the airway. These are your bronchial tubes. And you can think about it in three ways. One is there's inflammation, so they're swollen. The walls are swollen so that it's the, the airway itself is more narrow. It's harder to move air in and out because it's smaller. In addition, there are um, little muscles throughout your lungs that can constrict in the setting of inflammation and asthma and make it harder for the air to get out as well. Airways get smaller. And third, in asthma, your body, your lungs secrete mucus into the airway and can further block the flow of air. So you have swelling, muscle constriction, and secretions that block the flow of air in asthma. Now, typically, even if your asthma is active, you can usually get out a normal amount of air. Take a deep breath in, you blow out as hard and fast as you can. We measure how much air comes out. It might be a little hard to get the very end of the air out, but usually it's pretty normal. On top of that, think about it. If your airways are constricted, you take a deep breath in and blow out as hard and fast as you can. It's going to come out, but it's going to come out slower than you expect. And that, when we see a slowdown in the rate at which air is coming out, despite your best effort, that makes us think about asthma. Okay, but I'm still confused. Dr. Gupta talked about mold triggering asthma, and you talked about mold triggering pulmonary fibrosis. So why does one person develop asthma and another person develop pulmonary fibrosis? I, I don't think we know the full answer to why someone would develop a TH2 kind of allergic response to mold and why someone else might develop a TH17 response or no response. I, certainly there's a genetic part of it. And I think for sure, some of it, at least with regard to TH2, has to do with what's happening early in life. And as we see in children who develop asthma or maybe moderate to severe asthma, that early in life, in the first few years, 
They're developing things like atopic dermatitis, which is also known as eczema. And then following that, many will develop food allergies, allergic rhinitis, and asthma in different patterns at different ages. Some will persist, some will go away over time. So there's something happening early in life, and, and we know there are things like diet, whether or not a mother smoked, genetic factors that we are you know, beginning to understand over the past couple decades, and, and probably many other factors that influence which children are going to go on to develop this allergic type of disease. Okay, that all makes sense. What about treatment? I know with asthma, for my son, we treat it with steroids to stop the flares, and then we have to be careful about staying away from his triggers. What are the treatments for pulmonary fibrosis? The first treatment is if a patient is smoking, they have to stop smoking. This is true for every patient with every medical condition, particularly true for people with lung disease. So that's number one. After that, the first types of assessments really focus on trying to identify if there's a cause in the home or if it's a medication, something in the workplace, what might be a trigger that we could try to get rid of. And sometimes, at least in a, on a case-by-case basis, you know, there are patients, I'm no longer in practice, but when I was in practice, I had patients who had pulmonary fibrosis and we pinpointed the cause of it and we get rid of it. I had a patient who was actually a school librarian and there was a flooding repeatedly in the library and all these moldy books. That was the cause of her lung disease. There's another type of pulmonary fibrosis due to birds, believe it or not, exposure to birds, either indoor birds or you know birds in cages or coops. And I saw a surprising amount of that practicing in New York City. So targeting the cause can be very helpful in some cases. And then there are medications that we would consider. Not all patients with pulmonary fibrosis need to be treated with medications, but there are a variety of medications that have been used, some of which are approved. So for example, if you had that mold exposure and that was causing your lung disease and you had too much inflammation in your lungs, well, we might give you steroid medications that dampen down the immune system and can treat a variety of different medical conditions. They can have lots of side effects. We try to avoid them if we can, or at least use the lowest dose for the shortest duration possible. And there are other medications that influence the immune system as well. And these are more targeted medications that are trying to treat T and B cells specifically rather than having this broad effect that steroids have on the immune system. There are other immunosuppressive medications as well. They do a lot of different things to the cells in the lung that make scar tissue. At the very least, what we think they're doing is they're telling those scar tissue producing cells to slow down, not to stop, but to slow down. Neither of them make patients better. And I, I think that's really important to think about in contrast to so many other diseases where we can give a treatment and it actually makes someone feel better or makes at least makes their disease better. These medications don't do that. What they do is slow down the unfortunate progression of pulmonary fibrosis. It is a progressive disease in many cases over the course of years 
And most people who have pulmonary fibrosis ultimately will die from their pulmonary fibrosis. You said before that pulmonary fibrosis is caused by a trigger. And to stop asthma, the best strategy is just to get rid of the triggers. So why can't we just get rid of the trigger? Yeah, so getting rid of the trigger can have a variety of effects, you know, from very extreme. One of the very first patients who had this type of lung disease that I met when I was early in training had birds at home. And so we got rid of the birds and gave him some steroids. And I saw him, I don't know, a month or two later or something. And he was like, perfect. Like it was like nothing had ever happened. Now, fortunately, he actually never got to the point of developing scar tissue. He just had the injury, shortness of breath from the exposure. So he was very lucky. So that's an extreme case. I've had many other patients who had scarring, inflammation. We get it under control. You get rid of the exposure if we can identify it. And they are left with low level of disease that's not progressive. Sometimes that's because we got rid of the exposure. Sometimes it's because of medications or both. It's you know hard to tease that out sometimes. But I certainly had a, a reasonable number of patients who I had followed for more than a decade without having progression or symptoms after that initial disease, but still having disease. You could see it on their CAT scan or on their breathing tests. And then I've had other patients where despite all the treatments we tried, despite getting rid of the exposure, their disease progressed and they needed a transplant or in many cases, unfortunately, died without a transplant. Another reminder that these immune diseases are not to be taken lightly. Let's recap. We breathe 20,000 times a day. Each breath presents an opportunity for infection or damage to our bodies. So our immune systems are ready to respond. Asthma and pulmonary fibrosis are both conditions related to the immune system, but they are also very different. Pulmonary fibrosis is a scarring of the air sacs in the lungs. This scarring happens when the immune system tries to heal from the presence of things like mold or asbestos fibers, but for some reason fails and keeps going. And the immune response that's involved is called TH17. Treating pulmonary fibrosis is a combination of removing triggers to stop things from getting worse and using medications that can also slow down the scarring. But pulmonary fibrosis is progressive, meaning that we can't really stop it today, and that's why it's pretty deadly. The other disease we talked about is asthma, which is an inflammation or swelling of the airways, like the throat and tubes leading into the lungs. There can also be an increase in mucus flooding in this area. Asthma happens when the Th2 pathway reacts to a trigger like smoke or pollen or cat dander or mold. Treating asthma also means removing triggers and possibly medications that stop the swelling or mucus response or prevent it from going berserk. While people do die from asthma attacks in general, it can be controlled and managed. I know that's a lot to take in, but hopefully as you hear about other conditions, you'll start to see more of a pattern. Our next stop is the skin. There are a lot of skin conditions like eczema and psoriasis that you might be familiar with. We don't think about the lungs and skin as being very similar, but they are both organs that constantly interact with our external environments. And so you'll probably see a lot of similarities in the episode as we explore diseases of the skin. That's next time on Fixing Sick. Fixing Sick was written and produced by me, Mina Lele. 
Audio engineering was done by Chris Whitmore. The opinions I state in this podcast are my own. My guests only said what they said, and any mistakes are totally my own. <laughs>